You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. So today is the final installment in our two weeks, short two-week series on the conflict unfolding in Gaza. Last week, we looked at the history of this conflict and the history of the land and its occupants. And today, we're going to discuss more of the ideological underpinnings of what's going on, meaning the religious and the theological aspects and how they intersect and influence the political. It's very complicated. This is a very old conflict, and it's in large part animated by extremist elements on both sides who adhere to a kind of religious nationalism, among other religious beliefs that are problematic. And uh, I want to begin by talking about something called Zionism. How many of you have heard that term before? Zionism, I assume most of you, yeah. The word Zion comes from the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament. And it originally was the name of the mountain, the hill, more or less, that the Temple Mount in Jerusalem was built upon. The term Zion became synonymous, however, uh, for the entire city of Jerusalem itself, and then actually Zion became the term for the entire nation itself. The term Zionism, however, was coined relatively recently in 1890 by an Austrian Jewish writer who advocated for a national home for the Jewish people in what is known as modern-day Palestine. So Zionism became a political movement, a term for a political movement. Again, this idea of Jewish nationalism, this advocacy for a national home, a state for the Jewish people. The most extreme version of Zionism, and to be clear, like so many things, so many views, so many isms, <laughs> there are different, different nuances and subtleties and there's, there's strong Zionism and soft Zionism or you can look at it in different ways, but the most extreme version of Zionism holds that Palestine is really the God-given ancestral home of the Jewish or Hebrew people, and therefore God wants them to own it, control it, inherit it. Most Zionists do not believe that they and they alone should occupy the land. My understanding is that most Zionists are fine with other people groups, Muslims, Christians, others, living in the land, however, within a Jewish state. So Zionism is basically Jewish nationalism. We're all probably familiar with Christian nationalism. Well, there's such a thing as Jewish nationalism, and it comes under this term Zionism. But it doesn't always come with theological underpinnings about how the Jews are the chosen people of God who were chosen to inherit the land. Many Jews today don't subscribe to the theology of Zionism, but they can, and not all Jews are Zionists, to be very clear. Some are pretty progressive and fairly anti-Zionist, actually, and are on the side of the Palestinians, the Arab Palestinians in particular. 
But many Jews don't subscribe, many Zionist Jews don't subscribe to the theology of, of Zionism, but still believe that because Jewish people occupied the land before Muslim people did, that you know, Jews should get the land today, at least a large part of it. What's interesting is that most evangelicals here in the United States, 70%, according to recent polling, are Zionist and believe in the theology of Zionism, this idea that the Jewish people were chosen by God to inherit the land that's theirs. God has called them into it. And therefore, as good Christians, we should support that because it's God's will. 70%, we're told, evangelicals in America believe in that theology of Zionism. And they do so in large part because of their eschatology. What is eschatology? That's a fancy seminary word, means the study of the last things, the study of the final things, the study of where God is supposedly taking human history, cosmic history. Many, if not most, evangelicals believe that the second coming of Christ and the messianic age will not occur until Israel, meaning modern-day Israel, secures the land including, of course, Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, thus destroying the Dome of the Rock Mosque that's currently there, one of the holiest sites in all of Islam. That's the basic gist of evangelical eschatology with regards to Israel and how they think events must play out in the Middle East in order to usher in the second coming in the messianic age, the messianic reign of Christ, the, the day of judgment, etc. How many of you were raised with that eschatology? I'm just curious. Max, Jason, Randy, Rodney's like, yeah, you've heard this before though. Okay, yeah. I really was, really was. Grew up watching Jack Van Impey, Abe. You and I know who Jack Van Impey is. Okay. Um, reading the Left Behind book series. Yeah, it's all in there. It's extremely Zionist, you know, um, eschatology in there. But again, 70% of evangelicals today believe some version of this, this eschatology. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. And it's based on a misreading of a handful of texts, passages, and both testaments that have nothing to do with America <laughs> or the modern nation state of Israel. Now, one would be naive one would be naive to think that these beliefs are merely abstract religious ideas that do not influence or intersect with modern-day political positions and policies. They absolutely do. Evangelical Zionism has absolutely influenced, in my opinion, and many others, U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East, it has translated into enormous support of Israel financially, militarily, and otherwise. For example, May of 2018, then-President Trump moved the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, thus asserting by doing so that Jerusalem is the legit capital of Israel. He risked potential war doing this, by the way. He risked countless dead 
making this move. And he did it to please his evangelical base because of their Zionist eschatology. Being Zionist can get you elected president in this country or reelected president in his case. Well, he wasn't reelected, right? But the point is evangelicals are one of the largest voting blocks in this country, and they are largely Zionists. Trump being a astute political calculator knows that. And this was a dog whistle to his evangelical base. Risk potential war doing it. That's how powerful evangelical Zionism is. That's just one example. The irony about this, of course, is that evangelicals love to condemn Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran for being religious zealots who combine politics with religion in order to justify bloodshed. But there are millions of Christians in America who do so as well. They believe that only a cataclysmic war with Islam in which Israel is victorious can usher in the second coming in the messianic age. And so they kind of welcome it. Fundamentalists in all three religions, I'm saying fundamentalists, extremists, not everybody. Fundamentalists in all three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, believe in one version or another of this violent theology. And it absolutely influences their politics. Maybe the real point here today is that we need to condemn and reject all forms of religious nationalism and religious fundamentalism, be it Christian, Jewish, or, or Muslim. It's all toxic, it's all violent, it's all fascist, and it's all an obstacle to peace, especially in that part of the world. It's all playing a role in what's going on today and yesterday. In some ways, the conflict between Israel and Palestine can be understood as a proxy war, a holy, or I should say unholy, proxy war between the Christian and Jewish West on one side and the Arab Muslim East on the other. The Christian Western world, like the United States, backs Israel, while Iran and the Muslim Arab world largely, not entirely, but largely backs Hamas and Hezbollah. So in some ways, the conflict is as heated as it is and involved as it is because it's a holy war, a unholy proxy war between East and West. Israel and Palestine are like pawns on a big chessboard with the United States and Iran being the main players. That's, that's a way to understand it. All right, so we've looked at Zionism a bit here, but there's a kind of Islamic Zionism at play here too. Many Muslims believe God has given them the land and chosen them to inherit it. Moreover, they have a similar eschatology to evangelicals, not all Muslims, but there's extremist fundamentalist Muslims, just like there are extremist fundamentalist Christians. Muslim fundamentalists tend to believe that in order to usher in the messianic age, in order for the Mahdi, their Messiah, to appear and to establish lasting peace and justice on the earth, a great war with Israel must occur first, where Islam basically takes over Israel, destroys them, annihilates them. And basically the rest of the world, and the great evil of the United States along with it. 
in some ways, we are viewed as a greater evil than even Israel among these extremist Muslim circles. Hamas in particular holds a version of this eschatology and is quite motivated by it. In the original Hamas charter and covenant, it states this, the day of judgment will not occur until Muslims fight the Jews. And if a Jew hides behind a stone or a tree on that day, the stones and trees will say, and I quote, O Muslim, O servant of God, there is a Jew behind me. Come and kill him. This passage is a clear incitement to genocide. There's no other way to look at it. The Hamas charter goes on to say that there is a global Jewish conspiracy to rule the world and destroy Islam. It says that the French Revolution, the American Revolution, World War I, World War II, the Holocaust, and more were carefully crafted plans instigated by a global Jewish cabal to take over the world, to create the nation state of Israel, and to destroy Islam. The fact is the Hamas charter is rife with anti-Semitic tropes, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, brazen incitements to genocide, and a fundamentalist Islamic eschatology to boot in order to justify war with Israel and atrocities like that we saw on October 7th. Now, understanding this is a real blind spot for many people in the world today. I think it's hard for people who didn't grow up in religious fundamentalism to understand just how powerful and dangerous of an ideology it is and just how much it can take over your entire life and community. For people who didn't grow up in that world, like some of us did, it's hard for them to imagine that religion can play that big of a role in one's life and community, but it absolutely can. If anybody understands that, we do, right? Hamas's ideology is, of course, not new. To be clear, it is not the result of Israel become a nation in 1948. I think a lot of people mistakenly believe, oh, all this conflict that's happening today is the result of Israel becoming a nation in 48 and displacing and oppressing Palestinians after that. No. I think that's a major misunderstanding that ignores the complex historical, social, and religious aspects of this conflict that have existed long before 1948. When, frankly, the small Jewish populace in Palestine in the early 20th century was under Arab oppression because the Palestinian Arabs were the dominant power in the region, and they wielded that power, often unjustly, and even brutally sometimes against the then small Jewish population. That's just history, it's fact. The fact is Arab nationalism mixed with Arab anti-Semitism and Islamic fundamentalism has been a major component of the violence between Jews and Palestinian Arabs for a long, long time. We cannot ignore that or the generational trauma that comes into play because of it for both sides. Nor can we ignore that the power dynamics have shifted greatly since 48 in Israel's favor. And Israel needs to be held responsible for the ways that they wield that power today and over the last 
what, 80 years almost, unjustly and often brutally against their Palestinian neighbors. Just the other week, Israeli President Isaac Herzog said that there is no innocent, there are no innocent civilians in, civilians in Gaza, and that, quote, the entire nation is responsible for what happened on October 7th. This was a morally reprehensible statement, if there ever was one. And a statement made in order to justify the killing of thousands of innocent Palestinians, including, of course, children, which is something Israel has been getting away with for decades. In just the last few weeks, Israel's bombing campaign in Gaza, which is ramping up, has killed thousands of innocent Palestinian civilians, many of them kids under the age of 18. And many more are going to die in the coming weeks as Israel intensifies its war in Gaza. Let's, let's remember, let's not forget those who are suffering the most in all of this. It's innocent Palestinian civilians in Gaza who are largely under the age of 18. I think half or most of the country, somewhere around 50%, maybe a little higher, are under the age of 18. I said country. They actually, I don't know, you know, the region. Are under the, in Gaza specifically, half or most the population there is under the age of 18. That's astonishing. And they live in impoverished conditions that most of us would find utterly impossible to live in. And those conditions are made utterly impossible, largely because of the Israelis and Israel policies and the government and the Israeli Defense Force that has kept Gaza like an open air prison for decades. Peace is not possible in conditions like that. You can't expect that. And I want to finish today by saying that it should be possible to acknowledge two things at once. It should be possible to acknowledge two things at once. We can and must condemn Hamas's heinous acts against Israeli civilians and the mistreatment of their own people in Gaza and the West Bank. That's real. We must also recognize and condemn the ideology and, and the terrible theology that animates Hamas. But we also must condemn Israel for its ongoing brutality against Palestinians for decades. We must recognize Israel is the entity with the most power in this region at this time and is itself animated by religious nationalism, Zionism and is supported by the most powerful nation on earth, us, the United States. And the U.S. is as supportive of Israel as it is, in no small part, because of evangelical Zionism and the outsized influence evangelical evangelicals have on U.S. policy and U.S. culture. Christian Zionism is a big part of this, too. Maybe, again, the main point here today is that we have to recognize and reject all forms of religious nationalism and religious fundamentalism, be it Christian, Jewish, or Muslim. All of it needs to be repudiated and held to account and acknowledged. It's all violent. It's all fascist. And it's all an obstacle to peace.
especially in that part of the world. All right. I got intense there this morning. I'm feeling it. Um, I want to open it up for discussion now. Um, feel free to add your own comments, questions, agree, disagree. Um, I am by no means an expert on this matter. I'm sharing my opinion, my views on things, but I am just one person and I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, Jason. You know what, use this mic. Okay. I just wanted to point out that Christians invented anti-Semitism. Like, if you look at the history of anti-Semitism, it was invented by Christians in the Roman Empire, Catholic, Catholic, when the Catholic Empire started, and Jews were, um, there was this whole thing about Jews killed Christ that went on for a while. Even Martin Luther um, put out like pamphlets telling us we should slay the Jews for because they're like eating Christian babies or something stupid. And so, I mean, it, it for me, it's not you. Uh, how do I put it? It feels recent or it feels like it happened in the 40s, 1940s, whatever, with the uh, German uh, Nazism and that kind of thing in the Holocaust, but it but it started like two thousand years before that, and Jews have been blamed for being devils since like seventy CE, um, and Christians are the ones to blame. Um, yeah, and I would ag agree with that, and I would also point out that frankly, there's some views that we find even in the writings of Paul that are kind of anti-Semitic. I mean, um, maybe we should talk about that sometimes. Yeah, you know, sometime. But you're right, Jason, yeah. Yeah, uh, Leanne. Jason, would you mind passing the mic over to somebody who can pass it to Leanne? Um, sorry. It's all right, take a moment. My husband and I know people whose families were killed in, in Israel. I'm sorry, did you say you know someone who's been killed in Israel? Sorry, I thought I was okay. Um, this time last year, my husband and I went to Tel Aviv. Um, he works for an Israeli-based company, and we got to meet all of his co-workers. Um, who, um, we were there when Netanyahu was elected None of them voted for him. Um, and in being in the city, it's, it reminded me a lot of here. Um, you saw a lot of flags with the Israel, you know, the Israeli flag hung a lot, the same way we would see it here, what an American flag, if someone has an American flag hanging from their home, you can make the same implications. But there were also a lot of pride flags, a lot of people who were deliberately hanging pride flags um, as a response to that impetus and that Netanyahu aligned impetus. So we were there when he was elected um, and we got to meet his coworkers who are all, I would say more, um, uh, what's the term? Not ultra religious at all. Um, I can't think of words right now. Um, yeah. 
So um, a lot like us, um, liberal-minded folks, not that conservatives deserve death. <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, just reminded me a lot of um, here and um, we just found, we found out on the seventh that um, one of his co-workers, her whole family was murdered. Um, her 13-year-old cousin went on a run that morning. And while he was gone, they came in and they killed his whole family. Um, and he was lucky enough to get a ride from some folks who were driving and everyone was being shot. Um, so he got in the car and was able to drive away, but his whole family was killed. So she's lost um, a bunch of cousins, her aunts and uncles. Um, her story is actually international news. It's about her cousin's survival. Um, and we know several others who've had their families killed. And because they're Israeli citizens, his coworkers are now um, called to fight and join the front lines. And they're just software engineers, you know. I mean, they're born in Israel, so this is part of the deal. So I just appreciate the way you're framing this because in no way do I condemn or um, in no way do I condone these practices you're talking about um, with how Israel is treated Palestinians, but it's just been really hard to take because it's just these normal people who just are living normal lives who are just like us and are a part. I mean, there are, it's like we all are, like we're all a part of the United States. So we're all part of what the United States does. But at the same time, it just feels like normal everyday people are the ones getting killed and murdered in in their homes. Um, so I just, I appreciate the way you're framing this because it's so easy to just say like this side bad, this side good or these people are bad and deserve X, and these people are good and deserve. Um, so I just, I don't know what to, to make of it or what to say of it, but I'm just trying to, uh, trying to not take a black and white view of anything. Thank you for sharing that. You can tell hard that, how hard that is for you to share and I just want to acknowledge your grief and um, we don't have, there's nothing else to say. No justification, no explanation is needed. We're just so sorry. We hold you um, in our hearts, Leanne, and your, and your friends. Even in a small community like this, it hits us, it affects us. This, this is real. Yeah, um, Emily, yeah. Yeah, my brother's husband is Jewish and his family, he has lots of family in Israel and his mom's sister is in Israel. And they are a very large liberal Jewish family. And I'm getting you know, all of my information, I think from them, like, I don't know what 
like when I read stuff, I don't even know what sides. So I was talking to my brother-in-law this week, just trying to get an understanding. And he's like, just imagine if you are the state of New Jersey and your whole family is Jewish in that small space and someone's entire mission in life is to kill you and your people. Like, of course, you're going to defend your family, your loved ones, everyone you know. So he has many cousins that, you know, they all went through military training when they turn 18. But now, yeah, like like what was being said, they're all under 30 going to war, like leaving every male cousin of his that lives in Israel is now um, fully back in military training and it's just really intense but from his side and what I hear it's like of course you're going to defend your family and your country and your religion like there's no other option when we were brutally attacked the way that we were so that's just what what I hear from him and his family so I just wanted to share that opinion yeah. thank you Yeah, I, th I think if we had connections to family in Palestine, we'd hear that side of the story too. Yeah, no, yeah. totally. Yeah. So it's yeah. I think it's hard whatever information you get from individual yeah. peoples that you're oh, yeah. close to. It's like how do you not have bias when you love people and their lives are so affected yeah. in a certain way? You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Emily and I have a good friend named Nyla who um she and her husband live up in out the valley and she's from Lebanon his family back in Lebanon and when this stuff goes down between Israel and Lebanon or Israel and Palestine and she's understandably heartbroken for her family in Palestine and is very pro-Palestinian as a result you know we need to hear from folks like that too you know but as you said Emily it's like and Leanne it's heartbreaking on both sides and it's like we have to resist that urge of like picking us like I think it's important to be on the side of the oppressed, but it's like on the macro, like picking a side, like in the macro, like pro-Israel, pro-Palestine, you know, like we're picking a sports team. It's very problematic. Yeah. I don't know. I, I struggle with it too. I, maybe that's the point of all this. It's like, I don't have answers. I, I'm trying to flush out the issues, but I don't, I don't know. Other thoughts today. How are you wrestling with this? Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Leanne. Yeah, Max. Somebody pass the mic to Max. I just wanted to talk about how, Aaron, I thought you did a, a really good job, especially highlighting the the layer of religion as a separate but intersecting layer in this whole thing. And it just strikes me, we've talked about a lot here, how those in power often co-opt religion in order to get their political ends met. And so there's like part of the messiness is the separation where where there's these people on both sides being taken advantage of because of their closely held beliefs and faith uh, by their leaders who might rally under the banner, right, of a religion. But it's always the question of, yeah, but how much of that, right? Are they really, as a leader, saying like, oh, I'm doing this out of my religion rather than 
I like, and you mentioned right here in America, it's sort of the same wielding of a sword of, hey, I know if I use this religious language and I operate within this religious framework and context, then those people who uh, subscribe to that religion, no matter what the religion is, will have a really hard time disagreeing with me because it'll look like they're going against their religion. And so, yeah, I think it's an infinitely complicated thing, but just to note, <laughs> there's been many times the last couple of weeks, I'm like, I wish we didn't have religion. <laughs> <laughs> right and yeah. that's someone yeah. who works at a church and right went to seminary and was grown up and i'm here right now and it's just like my god like and, and so many people have said it through the for many years but it's like to think about just how religion itself is used as a weapon to get people to just tear each other apart is just it's sobering and i think this is we don't have a ton of of examples in modern day in the modern day world where this is on such a large scale but i think this is one of those right that it's like clearly there are people who believe in their religions deeply right and clearly there are people who don't because they are acting in a way that is nothing like their actual tenets of their religion um, so anyway, I, I thought since we were in a religious community, that really that really bubbled to the top as you were talking. And and to be clear, great point, Max. Um, I, even those who are not religious, specifically secular Jews in this matter, in and even Americans who are not religious, who are on the right, who are extremely pro-Israel, don't understand how much religious ideas are actually part of their current political worldview with regards to Israel. I don't think they understand how religion is the ghost, and I see that hand, um, how religion is the ghost that haunts these issues, even if they themselves are not religious. And I'm reminded of something uh, Slavoj Žižek once said, who's a, a Slovenian philosopher. Um, Without religion, good people would be good and bad people would be bad. However, you need religion to really make good people bad. And yeah, he means that as a, as a condemnation of religion. And and in some ways he's right. And I would be willing to bet, I might be wrong, but I would be willing to bet if the religious component was taken out of this conflict, if there weren't, if there wasn't Zionism on both sides, because I think there's an Islamic form of Zionism at work here too, I think there would be peace, but I could be wrong. Because let's not pretend that political and financial um, issues are also causes of war, and they are involved here as well. And power—you don't need religion to have fights over power and politics, right? But I do wonder if, without the religious component, there would be peace or a greater peace. Yeah, thanks, Max. Yeah. Yeah, hold the button down till it's green. Um, I think that. Donald Trump is like the perfect example of exactly this and what we're talking about. And in the sense that like every aspect of him previous to him running for president kind of like antithetical to an evangelical Christian. Um, but because he said all the things that 
the evangelicals wanted to hear, he became the guy. And I think that that's kind of a perfect example of you when you say the right things, when you appeal to like the religious, you know, evangelical like movement, it was like completely threw away every other aspect of, you know, criticism that evangelicals would have towards a political candidate was completely thrown out the window because he was saying xyz that appealed to them and where and then you have someone like biden who i mean i'm not like this you know biden worshiper but who like literally goes to church every week and has so his entire life (laughs) and he was like because he was on the wrong side of the you know, political spectrum was the enemy. Um, And I think it was interesting. One thing that um, I saw on the news this morning while I was getting ready and actually why I was late because I was watching this story. um, Our favorite uh, Congresswoman from Georgia has introduced a bill (laughs) uh, recently now that the house is up and running again, that is, um, trying to censure uh, a Palestinian, I don't know if she was born in Palestine or just it's her family ancestry. Um, I, I forget her name even, but um, it's a Congresswoman uh, who is Palestinian in origin and was very pro-Palestine on, what do we even say these days on, she exed. Like, cause now it's not Feet Twitter. Her? It's, you no, say it's, it's not Twitter anymore. It's oh, X. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So what do X. we say? She it's X. X. Yeah. Do we still say tweet? Like, I don't understand it's what good. happened. It's good. Um, so she tweeted on, you know, within a day or so, or it was with the bombing of the hospital and kind of like immediately went out condemning Israel, you know, whatever. And then had to kind of backtrack when, her own government came forward and said, no, actually, that's not what happened. We think it was a misfire, you know, whatever. And she kind of took a while to kind of make that correction. And she left up her original tweet. And and so now a lot of people who are like super pro-Israel are really upset about that because she's an elected representative. And so um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, someone who has... Uh, called Joe Biden a Nazi on many occasions who has talked about how wearing masks in the Senate was, I mean, these are like direct quotes, like wearing masks in the Senate was so similar to being a Jew during the Holocaust, how, um, you know, she's ha- she has all these like major supporters that were like at the Charlottesville rally and who, you know, then she's got the whole like conspiracy of like the rich white Jews and their lasers. And I mean, like stuff that she's like flat out talked about on many occasions. Like she just like spews this stuff kind of constantly. And she has just drafted this entire bill (laughs) towards this to censure this politician who is Palestinian because she says that she's being anti-Semitic. And I mean, just like, it's just mind boggling how people 
just wield this as a sword in their I mean she, the the bill sounds like someone who learned about this conflict in the last 10 minutes like but you say the right thing I mean just how the people continue to get elected is just mind-boggling to me I just don't understand yeah. and it's because they're just saying these thing these key things to this constituency yep how religion is all part of that yep um dorian um i think semantics is a big part of you say semantics yeah uh please just explain like, you know, just <laughs> this the very specific choice words that you used actually trigger well i mean that's not what semantics are intended to do but i mean that essentially these choice words are a lot of times what trigger people right like when you talk about god's people right god's chosen people right and technically what what is that biblically it's only like 144,000 biblically speaking like i think there's like you know when he when he reinstates the new kingdom and all that um but uh like only like like couple hundred thousand will inherit that kingdom that specific kingdom anyways um but it's so funny you know when we when christians think about god's people they think of you know of, of these you know these jewish people um and that title is, is so odd to me because if you think about it you know whether you're muslim you worship a god you know whether you're you know jewish you worship or whether you're a guy from kansas and you're you know Christian worship of God. In essence, it's all the same God, right? So we're all God's people, but the title God God's chosen people or God's people, right? It, it's a like it's the semantics of like you know, and even even the fact that we as like American Christians, especially evangelicals, we have skin to a cult or we have skin in the game or like we 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 associate ourselves with a culture or a people that have we have nothing to do with. Right. All of a sudden, this, you know, a religion who doesn't necessarily consider, or at least predominantly amongst most of the denominations, who doesn't even consider Jew, uh, Jesus the Messiah. Right. Like we as Americans, we we have a connection to them somehow. You know, we in Oklahoma have a connection to them in this religion or this cultural based religion, religion that not even similar. It's not similar. It's not, you know, it doesn't practice the same thing. Yes, we all worship a God, but it's it's the same yet a different, you know, a God with a different perspective, a God, you know, and so we uh, you know, we create an we create an icon, right? Like we create this like this is like Jesus was born in Palestine, technically. I mean, it's like it's it's ridiculous how much we we use these specific words or we choose these specific words to define an idea. And that idea changes even amongst, even in Christianity, there's so many denominations, right? And like the difference in why we worship differently could be like based off like one small idea, like difference, right? Or one, even like a choice of words that's different, right? Like canons, fucking canons, right? Sorry, sorry. You can say that. It's okay. But it's like, right? It's it's different books. Yeah. All rooted in Roman Catholicism, right? And it's it, a lot of times it's the words that trigger, I think, people, right? And the ideologies, right, that are used within the, 
use that use those words, but it's it's crazy to me that the same Jesus that does not have the same um I don't want to say leverage, but influence. The, yeah, or that that's not worshipped in Judaism is the same Jesus that we that ties us in Israel together to the same gun toting, you know, American flag wearing t shirt, Kansas, you know citizen right i mean it's just it's so interesting how we try to we we try to make ourselves we we make ourselves representatives of certain things that we don't even have a connection to and it's not that we can't be supportive or support peace or anything like that i just think it's it's so interesting that we go out of our way to kind of like yeah, yeah yeah i'm this because this far crazy connection in my mind ties me to that i think you're accurately uh reflecting how the majority of people feel um i think even and even a lot of people in israel and palestine who are more centrist or moderate around the liberal end are just like yeah and especially here in the united states if you, you know in the west western europe are just like i don't get it Say what are we? What are you at war over? You know, how are you so animated by these religious beliefs? And in some ways, it is extremists on both sides. You know, uh, Netanyahu, I think, is pretty much on the far right. I think, you know, and yeah, he doesn't accurately reflect in a lot of ways what the majority of people want. Maybe I don't know, but you're right in pointing out that a lot of this is driven by extremists, and we're beholden to them. In some ways, they. You know that they, they control the conversation, even you know. But anyway, um, one maybe one more thought here this morning, or a reflection, or question. Anybody online want to join? Jump in. Yeah. Uh, maybe the right response is just grief, just to grieve for what's happening. That's okay. That's that's a good response. You know, is it, maybe the point is that we can't have an answer. We just grieve and cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Like, you know, Christ on the cross. Lament. Lament is part of our traditions, whether we're Jewish, Muslim, or Christian. We're all three Abrahamic faiths. We all come from the same place. We all look at the same scriptures. It's astonishing how different we can be and how much we want to kill each other. It's profoundly sad. Grief, lament. Well, that's a heavy way to end our service. <laughs> but let us end on a positive note as best as we can by saying our benediction together. As we go from this place, we commit ourselves to the path of love, honesty, and humility. We dedicate ourselves as Christ did to the cause of justice and the courageous embrace of this life, this world, and each other. Amen. This was a heavy topic, and I just really appreciate everybody being here to engage with this, um, and all of you who joined us online, and I know there'll be people listening to the podcast later. Thank you for journeying with us the last two weeks. The journey doesn't end. We can continue the conversation uh, always, but thank you for just handling this so well as a community. I knew you would. 
I knew we would. But um, with that, thanks and go in peace.